Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Unit spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Obviously, this episode contains pretty gratuitous mentions and discussions of all kinds of sexual violence. So if you feel like you can't deal with that, consider this a very respectful trigger warning because it is going to get pretty intense. Over the past two parts of our look at the Blacktown Rapist, we've looked at the first three victims. So, Dad, this week we're looking at the fourth offence. Where do you think we should begin here? Because the first three victims, there's been certain shared MOs. In each case, it was a woman who was alone. Uh, in, in multiple cases, the perpetrator would call the victim back to taunt them. And last we were checking in with this case, uh, people were starting to theorize that they may have had some sort of connection with... I mean, how are they trying to track this person down at this point? I, I went to innumerable sexual assaults when I was in forensics. Uh-huh. I hate to say it, listeners, but you know, I, I, it troubles me greatly to say this, but when I was in forensics in the 1980s and in fingerprints, I would, and this is just one officer, I would attend a minimum of five sexual assaults a week. That's just me. And I was given a specific area. Now, some of these terrible assaults, Paul, have you've written about them. Um, and you just bag the evidence. I know that sounds very callous. And you'd sort of grab the sheets. You'd examine the toilet. You'd... But fingerprints was, was very important back then. It's still very important today because it's, it's irrefutable evidence. The problem was in this particular case, we're going to talk about the fourth offence, is that this offender who we know is in his 20s. Mm-hmm. They've got a good description of him. He has left numerous, what what in sort of fingerprint 
terminology would be dabs. He's left, left lots of dabs. Um, you may recall that on one of the uh, windows that he came into, it had been raining, so his hands are wet. That's so right. So of, there were partials, but they were smeared, basically. Partials. Correct. Smeared. And then to really throw a spanner in the works, and one has to sort of think about, was he so clever? Because if you're going to be sort of um, categorised by the police as a serial rapist, you may then decide to change your MO. And in this particular case, case number four, he commits a terrible offence but it's 10 kilometers away. Right, so if they're looking in a specific area, right, if they're looking in a specific area, proximity, maybe they're thinking he lives near here, he works near here. And in fact, in one of the previous episodes, you theorized that, or maybe it was me, that he may have been a local and that he may have Mm. been actually doing reconnaissance on his way to or from places. So waiting a bit and then skipping into a area 10 kilometers, you said? Yeah, now 10 kilometers back in the time that this... Um, these offences occurred, 10 kilometres, what it does, it takes you into a completely different police patrol, which is very problematic. You used to mention, Dad, being out of area. So you would, if there was a crime in a different, basically a different, in US parlance, you'd say a precinct, but different zones. So would that mean a different investigative body entirely? entirely. Okay, so, right. So the crime would have to be then if those police forces aren't sharing information, then it's possible that he could presumably get, start getting away with crimes in different areas. And it hasn't been yeah. properly categorised. He has right. not been... Um, they've not sort of got this massive task force. I mean, they're, they're no, sort of working towards that. But yeah. as I said, Three it's a completely... So it's a totally different area. Um, you know, you, you hop out of your um, apartment where you are today, Paul and you walk Mm. 10 kilometres in any direction, you're going to walk through probably in Melbourne, maybe I'd imagine two or three different police areas, commands. I can think of multiple... Yeah, I can think of multiple police stations that are within walking distance in different directions. I don't know which one I live in. Mm. But... You know? Yeah, so when when your mother and I used to start our shift... Um, in the early 80s, you'd come mm. into the police station, upstairs, get into your full uniform, back yeah. downstairs, you'd read the telephone message pad, the occurrence book. You'd go to the computer, which was one up from Pac-Man in terms of technology. We're talking yeah. early days. Mm-hmm. And you'd get a sense of what had happened in the preceding, say, eight hours. So you got a sort of a a feeling for what was happening in your area, the greater Sydney area, sometimes interstate. But mm-hmm. to be fair, or not to be fair, but to be realistic, not all police were so vigilant as to do what they were supposed to do. Some police had start the shift and had no idea what had happened in the preceding hours. But it was really, really important because criminals are not working to the police roster. Clearly, they're going to be committing crimes across a, a sort of a very long period of time. And that that is yeah. going to sort of travel right through various shifts. And if there isn't that sort of interaction with information, point being that he goes off this guy and he commits the fourth offence. 
Um, it's 10 kilometers away. So mm-hmm. this particular story is on every level fucked up. Um, and I'm not going to pull any punches. I don't want to. I was just walking back from grabbing a coffee, Paul, and I thought, mm-hmm. how's how are we going to handle this? But I think in what he does to this woman, I think it's very interesting. It's very, very, it's terrible. But I, it's, there are some details in this case that I, I want to put forward, Paul, because um, it's going to show the vulnerability and the fear, the terror, but also the, the, the terrible situation that the victim finds herself in and what she has to do to basically live. Okay, so talk us through this because what myself and the listeners are probably going to be doing is trying to figure out how many similarities there are between this crime and the first three that law enforcement might actually be able to latch onto. So mm-hmm. February 24th, yep. what happened? Walk us through it. Okay, so you, you may recall the previous three victims. They're, well, they're all married. Mm. They've either got children or in this particular case, the um, the woman is actually pregnant, six mm-hmm. months pregnant, and she's fast asleep. So the first thing we will recall is it's generally in the wee hours of the morning. So this is around about 1, 1 a.m., yep. and her telephone rings. Now, the listeners at this point are thinking, maybe thinking, uh, because he has a propensity to to call back so the it phone ends comes with sort the, of this ends with the call usually it doesn't start with that's the call. right that's true but the phone different. rings it's one in the morning yep <clears throat> all of these victims their partners are shift workers we know that she makes her way to the telephone have you ever answered a phone at one in the morning paul and i'm not talking about reaching over and grabbing your mobile but if you had a tele like an old-fashioned telephone mm-hmm. you've got to get out of bed it's dark. The telephones were never in people's bedrooms. They're either A, in the hallway, yeah. lounge room, kitchen. Dad, if I'm getting a call at one in the morning, my assumption is that it is extremely urgent. So if something terrible happened to, yeah, look, if it's a family thing, if something, yeah, you know, clearly you're not going to wait. Although weirdly, mm-hmm. when my father died, uh, I I got a call at one or two in the morning. I don't know whether I told you. And you I looked at, yeah. I didn't I didn't answer it. Mm. I, and I just went back to sleep. Yeah. The, probably the one time I should have answered it when I found out hours later, you know, the news. But um, so she makes her way to the telephone and she picks the phone up and it's her mother. The mother is telling the girl it's weird mm-hmm. that the husband didn't call the wife. The husband's called the mother-in-law. And he's a prison warder. So my gut feeling is that he was working at Parramatta Jail, which was yeah. notorious and scary. And the mother says to the daughter, look, your, your husband has been injured in a car accident on his way home. Okay. It's one in the morning. He's had a car accident. That makes sense now why the the mother-in-law calls. Clearly he's been taken to hospital. She just replaces the receiver back on the phone. After hearing that news, all of a sudden, a towel 
is viciously wrapped around her head. Uh -huh. Okay? She manages to break free and she falls to the floor. And she sees um, this guy and he's, yep. he's sort of, he's wearing a uh, sort of a mask. Okay? And mm -hmm. clearly she's terrified. Yeah. And the offender tries to rewrap this towel around her head and there's a fight that ensues and she's screaming obviously yeah. and he's saying to her that if she moves she's going to kill him kill her and like in the previous cases she feels something sharp so it's clearly evident that he's got a knife and that makes sense if you're going to commit these types of offences, you're going to be armed with something that's going to absolutely terrify your intended victim. It's at this point that she, in desperation, explains to him that she's six months pregnant. And she sort of says, look, I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that these victims can sort of maintain relative composure and it's because they don't know what's going to happen. For them, it could be their last moment on earth. I guess in the back of their minds, maybe in the front of their minds, they're, they're already working out various scenarios about what is going to happen. And she, she sort of tries to reason with him. And the pregnancy thing, that didn't really work. And then she offers him a cigarette and she's basically doing that so that he will have to remove his mask. Take his mask off and... Yes, okay. And okay. they start having this conversation yeah. and the offender is asking her all mm -hmm. sorts of fairly personal questions about her name and how old she is and she at that juncture may have started to feel that there was some positivity in terms of maybe things won't end up as badly as they may. In hostage negotiation, I think what they try and do is they try and humanize people so that it's it's harder for the criminals to actually carry out what they plan on doing. Mm. Because once you know names and faces and it's actually a person, it's hard. so it seems quite kind of canny what she's doing. So she's trying to humanize herself uh, to try and stop any of this happening. Okay, so she she's trying to get his mask off so that presumably so she can ID the guy. Yep, yep. Uh, so does she get any information that is actually yeah. useful at this point? Yeah. He then says to her, well, if you want um, a name, you can call me Peter if you must have a name. Right. So is that a real name? Is I mean, is that his name? We don't know at this stage. But he then takes her, drags her along the hallway to the bedroom. He knew where the bedroom was. And she s felt that he must have already had a fairly good idea of the, the house. And then she realized that what he'd done is that he'd locked her dog in another room. Right. And... She can hear the dog 
from under the door as they're moving down the hallway. How long had he been in the house? I mean, when she got the call from her mother about her uh, husband being in the car crash, was he in the house the whole time? Had he just, you know... Okay, so obviously... Well, he'd obviously been in the house long enough to case the joint and to lock the dog up, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's he he was setting everything up. Okay. The the incredible um I just I can't imagine I can't put myself in his in his place. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine myself being in someone else's house. He obviously had a very very good feeling for the houses. He you know, he had this this knowledge about I mean just the fact that the husbands, the partners were always doing shift work. Yeah. This this is an interesting case as well in that if you come back to the fact that she gets the call, which means that the husband was on his way home. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So he's in this house and he would have been caught uh-huh. if the husband had come home. Yeah. But he's, he's had a car accident. Yeah. So imagine this, this this rapist is inside the house listening to this, getting a sense of the conversation, mm-hmm. and then he thinks, okay, I'm, I'm in the clear. I've really got some serious time now because the husband's not coming. And she's trying her best to sort of explain that she's six months pregnant. And anyway, he takes her into the bedroom. He forces her. He, he gets her to undress, and then he throws mm-hmm. her on the bed. And she's pleading with him, saying, look, please don't injure my my baby, my unborn baby. He doesn't care. And as per the report, he mm-hmm. subjects her to 
as they've described it, sexual deviations. Now that's all we need to know about that. So dad, I guess my question is, if he knows the husband isn't coming home, what is it that actually gets him to leave? What, what gets him out of the house? Mm. Well, look, after the, the, the terrible, frightening t- event, she yep. says to him that her sister's mm-hmm. coming to take her to hospital. She's got well, to now, get to the hospital to visit the yeah because the, the, husband. the husband's in the hospital. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and if she, and if she doesn't get out of there, if he doesn't get out of there quick smart, then it's going to be on for young and old because uh, her sister or her brother-in-law, she describes him as a massive guy. You've got to give full credit to this victim to be able to put string all this information together and deliver it in such a way that it actually has the effect of the guy gets dressed and he and he leaves. Okay. And he did ransack the place a little bit. But here's the thing. As he's getting dressed, he drops something on the floor. Do you know what that is? No. He drops a complete, like a key case, which used to be big in the, you know, the 70s, 80s, like a leather case. And you sort of, you'd open it up, it had a sort of a clip. And inside it, there were all these keys. And so... I think I've seen these things. It's like a wallet with a yes. kind of series of okay, yeah. yeah. They were, but that's I had one. That's they were we, just <sighs> anyway. He, he he he. This the offender. Mm. He leaves four keys attached to this thing. Two of them are Holden car keys. There's a locker key, mm. and there's a front door key. It fits a sort of a standard sort of lock that was typically used to get into the front of a domestic residence. What incredible! unbelievable potential evidence because you can imagine if you've got a set of keys it's too too incredible for words the the offender i mean which then makes you think how did he drive to the scene you know um car keys oh oh i mean that's a that's a possibility right okay Um, okay okay the, the locker key um one would then begin to think it's his locker key mm-hmm. and generally speaking, the locker keys for a place of work and and his front door key. Um, How's that? It's unbelievable. That's, that's pretty damning. Presumably that would hold fingerprints a bit better than a wet windowsill. Let's talk. Okay, so... Okay, let's jump forward. The police arrive at the crime scene. They find the keys. They find the key wallet, which obviously was... I mean, that's a hell of a thing to leave behind. That is extremely sloppy. Was there anything else they found at the crime scene that helped them sort of start to identify this guy? Okay, well, like a lot of houses back in the 70s, they had laundries. And you'd, you'd, you'd access the laundry by going out the back and then into sort of... It was off the back veranda or something. And they found on the knob of the the laundry the most mm. beautiful magnificent fingerprint and in my experience because I'm looking at the print to me it has all the hallmarks of a thumbprint and I, and Paul can you see the photograph is this the one you sent me this morning hang on a sec uh, yep, that looks pretty complete to me. I'm not a fingerprint yes. expert by any means. It's a, but that it's looks... a ripper. Yeah. And and wow. can, can you see how it's very, very, it looks like sort of a, you know, that spiral sort of just, yeah. you can see it's just basically circle upon circle radiating outwards. It's called a wall, W-H-O-R-L type pattern. And it's a yep. really yep. good, it's a very, very strong piece of, um, and of course what the, what the fingerprint guy does, he eliminates 
the yeah. the people that live there. Mm-hmm. He eliminates any uh, police um, that would have attended the scene because we need to make sure that it's potentially the suspect's um, print because we do know that his MO was always to case the joint and to rob oh. the joint. And yeah. And you recall how he had that um, that sort of headscarf that he'd made? Turns out, Paul, that he went into the laundry and he took a scarf that belonged to the woman that she later recognised. That's why that's what would have led the police to go into and check dust the the laundry area, because that is where he got her headscarf that he tightly wrapped around his own head to create a makeshift mask. And when they unravelled that, they also found a lot of his hair. So he didn't bring a mask with him. He... No, he didn't. So. We've theorised that he was grabbing the weapon that he needed as well from the house in question. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. They open the scarf, they find hair. They've got, they've clearly got a fair bit of evidence from this. This doesn't seem like True. a criminal mastermind to me. No, but the thing is that because the husband of victim number four was a prison warder, the, the, mm-hmm. the police in that particular area, because it's, it's, it's 10 kilometres away from the other hotspot, is that they started to think it was revenge. That simple. Uh, an ex ex prisoner, revenge on the prison water. That's that was their. That, that's what they thought, okay. and um, they started to compile the uh, the latent prints, and then they found they started to collate because they started to put together a larger dossier, and they started to acknowledge that it actually they were just dealing with one person. Okay. And the fingerprint people, what they did, they set up what's called a composite set. They got all of the latent prints together and they created these folios as as to how they imagined, how they could classify, how they could do the the fairly complex computations. And they had a lot of police, a lot of fingerprint guys working on it, a lot of serious expertise. And they didn't, they just, they were putting together a case but they didn't have enough because, as we've said previously, the guy was not known. And then the fifth offence, approximately eight weeks go by. Right. Again, it's a young mother. And this particular case is a bit... I mean, they're all terrible, but this particular one, and I'm, and I'm going to say this because it's not... It's, when I was in the police force, there were cases of women that were, were sexually assaulted whilst their partner was in the same bed asleep think about that completely oblivious and in this particular case the lady had her young daughter sleeping with her in the same bed and uh this um this terrible case was was you know case number five um on this particular occasion the lady had taken a sleeping tablet so she was really, really tired. She's in a deep sleep. And the thing that wakes her up is that sensation of a very sharp in- sort of implement, more than likely a knife. And he is sticking it into her back. Okay? Mm-hmm. And she thinks, weirdly, that it's her partner. And she shouts out, is that you, Robert? And he was a shift worker as well. And she makes the assumption that he's just come home early. But he was working in a, in a, in a factory. 
and same MO, Paul. The knife, don't scream, or this knife, this is a quotation from the police, that this knife will really hurt you. I think yep. for my benefit, but also the benefit of the listeners, I think we can probably safely skip the act itself right, cool. because I think yeah, I think cool. what I'm no okay. I think what I'm curious about is once he finishes I, I agree yeah committing the crime cool. I'm curious as to uh, how he gets out what he leaves behind because it seems like he's leaving a lot of evidence uh, whenever this happens so I'm presuming I'm presuming he does what he did before which is I mean in, in every case he is stealing stuff taking money it's never much it seems like but he's looking around the house taking stuff and then bailing so what happens in this case how does he make his escape okay so after he's assaulted the woman mm-hmm. with the daughter in the same room that that might I just say that the daughter had become very distressed and he actually said to the the mother he actually weirdly gave her time out to attend to the daughter that was in the same bed. That's without going into all the, the details. That's that's kind of surreal. Uh, I, the, the, what what is going through this person's mind is completely beyond me. At the end of the whole terrible experience, he then gets all the blankets, throws them over her head, says, "Don't move." Then. He, he just gets dressed and then he ransacks the house. He's looking for money. And he found $50 in a handbag. And the, the victim is absolutely terrified. The most terrible ordeal has just taken place. And then she sort of very, very slowly lifts up the blankets and she can see a silhouette of him. And it, as he's leaving the house, he's mm-hmm. just going through and turning all the lights off. And then... She just lies there paralysed, frozen, indescribable fear, and she manages to call out the words, are you still there? And then there's no noise. She waits, and by then it's 3 in the morning, 3 a.m. She's so distressed, so confused. She doesn't really know what to do. Does she call the police? Does she call the husband? Does she call the neighbours? She goes to one side of the house, she opens the window, she screams out to her neighbours on one side and there's no no reaction, runs to the other side of the house, lifts the window up, screams to the neighbours on the other side of the house and then all of a sudden those neighbours wake up, they come round, the police get involved, mm-hmm. they've got this car that was called the night wireless car, it's sort of driving around, the huge covering huge areas and they get the call and... The whole investigation starts. The forensics, scientific, the fingerprints, mm-hmm. investigations, take her to the hospital, go through all, all, all the, the stuff that's, that, that happens when someone is assaulted in that way. And they get the fingerprint people in and on the inside of the window, they found more prints and they immediately elim- eliminated the prints. They were not prints of the occupants so they could establish that this was the way the offender Mm -hmm. had gained access to this particular premises they started to put all the fingerprints together from all the previous sexual assaults okay and they began to there was a breakthrough paul and one of the technicians which is what i used to be he positively identified the right middle fingerprint 
recall a few a few episodes ago there was that the toolbox in the garage yes the offender had gone through the toolbox he'd left a print there and they then it must have been an incredible light bulb wonderful moment if you can have yep. described this as wonderful where a relatively junior fingerprint guy as i said a technician not an expert so he's got less than five years in the fingerprint bureau and he makes that incredible irrefutable comparison between two different crime scenes. Okay. And all of a sudden, they know that they have they have an, an identical print left, and it was it was the actual the the, the toolbox was at the scene of the, of the of the rape of the policeman's wife. So things are starting to to hot up. So they've got five crimes. And they've now linked them all together with various types of evidence, fingerprints, DNA, hair, descriptions. I'm assuming now the search begins in earnest, but we can get to that next week in our final episode of our look at this case. Honestly, I will be glad to see the back of it because it just it's just so horrible hearing what's happened to these women. But I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how the investigators actually tackle this investigation. Yeah, yeah. And I hope it I hope it comes across to the listeners. Um, you know, I don't like to sort of well, we don't like to sound blasé about anything we talk about, particularly in these cases. So I hope that our, you know, our feelings are coming across. I don't would never like to be sort of it be thought that we didn't talk about these with you know the reverence that they deserve because they are very disturbing. But anyway, next week we'll 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 finish it off. Now it's quite an extraordinary. The endings, yeah, it's just unbelievable how it all comes together. Well, we'll be back at the end of the week with a palate cleansing episode of Loose Ends. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to another episode of Loose Units: The Shadow Files, and we'll see you soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.